Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. During the week and during the course of last week, we have focused very much on parents. Uh, parents who can't get respite uh, when they have children. Parents who can't get appointments for their children because they may have the first signs or they may have shown the first diagnoses of maybe being autistic or having issues. And they can't even get an appointment to get early intervention. Well, joining me in the studio today is Anne Rabbit. Feet of all is Anne Rabbit, Minister for State and Department of Children, Equality, Disability and Integration of Youth and the Department of Health. Good afternoon to you, Anne. Good afternoon, Nyland. Thanks for having me. No, but I know it's a bit of a rush in today. The tra- traffic mustn't be the best out there today. We're back to old pre-COVID times when it comes to traffic, aren't we really, I suppose? Yeah, abandoning the car wherever you can get a spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're glad to see the back. When I say the back of COVID, hopefully we're all going to see the back of it and we'll get back to some level of normality again. I'm sure you're glad to see the back of that. Absolutely, and that's why I'm taking the opportunity to talk to you today to, to be able to get that conversation piece going. Okay. That that COVID um, is moving on and so are we and we have to re-gear ourselves and come back into a space of delivering services and working with families and ensuring that they get the services um, that they need, want and, and that is long overdue. Just get, let just get, give us a sense of what we're talking about today. I want you to have a quick listen to this audio which was one of our callers uh, from last week and this was Caroline. So just give you a, a sense of what we're talking about. I've been fighting with the foundation that Amy attends about getting the respite back and I'm getting the same baloney that they're short of staff that the respite house needs to be inspected by HICWA. I mean... The house so how much respite are you getting every year? I'm not getting nothing at the moment. Nothing at all? Um, nothing, nothing. Absolutely nothing. So so um, does Amy get to go anywhere apart from where you bring her, by the way? But does, No, she, no. Goes, she attends day services. She attends right, okay. day services. Okay. So she has that. That's, she goes during the week and whatever. But other than that, then she's with us all the time and she can't look after herself. So if you yes. just go across to the local shop, you have to bring her. She's an epileptic as well. She developed epilepsy three years ago. So yeah. that's another thing onto her disability. Um, and it's just like, you know, she follows me 24-7. I, you know, she, she's just my right arm, really. <laughs> if I go somewhere, she's with me. And I have no break whatsoever. And the house that, you know, the respite house, they're telling me that HICWA has to inspect it. Now, it was only closed because of COVID. It wasn't being used as anything. I can't understand why it's taken six months for it to be inspected and opened up again. That's the general sense, Anne, of what a lot of callers are saying. We had James on the day waiting three, he got a letter saying three years for the first appointment he can get for early intervention. We've had so many callers on with similar issues, not being able to get respite, not being able to get appointments. That was acceptable to some degree. And when I say acceptable, during COVID, we understood why those delays were happening. We did have delays post-COVID or pre-COVID as well. But why are they still happening now? Surely we should be getting back to some level of normality now. All right, so let's just take it into two chunks. I'll take the respite piece first. So respite was complex during COVID because you had children or young adults coming from different households, you had staff from different households and you were trying to prevent infection control. We can understand that. So how should that have been managed? Do you know what? As opposed to having four or six in the house, you'd have two or three and you could manage it like that. You could keep people apart. It's disappointing to hear that that respite house closed in 2020 and hasn't opened since. Okay, mm. that's really worrying. Waiting for a report from Hickwa. Yeah, and, and you know what? The, 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 it starts out, we don't have enough staff. So I want to park that. There is an but, issue but is there it with just, staffing. Just to come back to that, is it just a staffing issue or is it a lack of communication between departments? When you when you see that somebody is waiting for a report from Hickwa to reopen that place, so you've, also, you've got the staffing issue, but you've also got this kind of disjointed system between Hickwa and also uh, the people who work yeah. there. Well, Hickwa do registrations on an mm. annual basis. 
basis. We have no problem with HICWA in our nursing homes. They're in and out of it every single day. HICWA have a standard process of how they inspect. So them going into a respite house, to me, is part of their day's work. Mm-hmm. There should be no hold up in HICWA issuing a report. OK, so that's something I will take up and reassure your listeners. When I go back to the office later on today, I'll make contact directly with HICWA to and see how many outstanding respite houses is there in the system. Because that's not an acceptable. And if there is an issue there, I remember contacting them on Christmas Eve, not this Christmas gone, but the week before for a respite house down in Kerry. And I said, can you get the team out there? There's families actually losing their nerve mm-hmm. to do with a yeah. piece. And they did it. Now, I shouldn't have to micromanage Nile, But at the same time, I'm going to ensure that if there's any outstanding HICWAS, it's gone and done. And all those... Rest and by the way, I do, I do realise this is not your... You inherited this problem. And I, and I get that. I mean, we've had a problem in the system for a long time. And I know you said you were obviously planning it for 2022 to fill approximately 230 That's posts. Right. And there'll be 50% increase in people in jobs. It's easy to say that, but where are we going to get these people from? Can I just reverse before I go on to that? I also have to address a culture that it'll do tomorrow. That Mm. won't do for Amy's mother at home. Mm. It needs to be addressed now. So we have to pick up pace at how we do our jobs. Now, moving on um, to getting the staff, okay? So I have 230 posts that I can fill this year. I have the funding for it. And, and, And... like I was down in Longford the other day, they say they can't get staff in Longford. I was, then if you talk to them here in Dublin in CHO9, they say we can't get staff here because it's too expensive to live here. Um, not being able to recruit is not a solution because we have children, or young, uh, young people exiting colleges, qualified as speech and language therapists, qualified as OT. Do you know what we'll go and do? Um, we'll come and we'll offer them a three-year contract. Stop this idea of giving young people exiting colleges temporary contracts. Let's offer them a, a permanent contract for three years and then give them the chance to take the break to travel to Australia and hold their permanent position. But, but why, why are they tra- when, when they travel to Australia or Great Britain, including the NHS as well, is it not just because, of, well, I mean, look, the financial aspect is obviously attractive in certain countries as well, but it's also the prospects, isn't it? They, they, the, there's better opportunity. I understand Ireland is a small country and we have less prospects, we have less opportunities. So we're losing, and we could talk about the HSE in general, nurses and doctors and people who are carers, professional carers, we're losing them to other countries because we can't offer them those same opportunities. And the opportunities sometimes is career progression, career opportunities as pathways to actually be able to progress up the ladder. Like it's a sad thing of affairs in disability I've only two grades do you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. either a standard grade or a senior post but there's nowhere then to branch into speciality if you so wish to do it so yeah. I need to look at creating that the same way as we don't have associate um, psychology positions we only have them in primary care why don't we have them in disabilities and that's what I'm trying to, to actually is create the post create the opportunities and create that balance that you enjoy going to work so we're not losing you I mean I'm looking here as well for autism in particular. Right? Yeah. Early intervention is obviously the key for everybody. And we spoke to James extensively the other day. And I think James has spoken to you because he did mention he had talked to you. Yes. And, and according to As I Am, the waiting list for the public sector currently can be as long as three years for some people. As James said, 38 months for his son, Nicholas. Why are we at a point at three years? I mean, that would be unacceptable. We had another girl who uh, will be on the show during the week. She spoke to us. I don't know she was on the media during the week. And she's from Brazil, but she's living here. She had three children. Two of them are twins. She moved back to Brazil just to get early intervention because she couldn't get it here. I mean, that's unacceptable, isn't it? Totally and utterly, Niall. And there's no 
There's no excuses for that. Mm. Okay, there there is no excuses for that. Uh, there may be excuses, but there has to be reasons. Yes, and, and but at the same time, we're coming out of COVID, and I'm sitting here today saying you, I have sourced um, funding to address that backlog this year. So for children, but can we, can we address because before COVID we had two year waiting lists. Yeah, we now have three year waiting lists. So. Where we are we going to address the backlog, but still end up with the two-year waiting list? If you know what I mean, because I exactly. it's the whole system is the problem. Very good point. So when I came into post, I had I had six and a half thousand children that just needed an assessment, just needed an assessment. I cleared that, got the money, cleared that. But what did that mean? I moved it over here because now I need that diagnosis. So I now know the pool of kids that needs that because they've been waiting a year before I ever come into post mm-hmm. then it was the year to get the assessment and now they're there so that's where it is so I've spoken to, to, to Minister McGrath and Donnelly I need the funding to be able to do it while at the same time I will have to get in um, extra help to do it as in privately buy the packages to do it and I've no problem in doing that while at the same time the HSE manage the portfolios that they have of children in the system within the intervention so it's when the diagnostics is done the children can come come back in on a proper pathway so that's a twin that's 2022's plan now and and of course during Covid uh, Minister Donnelly obviously uh, sequestered the help of some of the private hospitals Mm -hmm. I mean we talked to parents who couldn't wait the three years because they believed it would be more damaging to the child's future to wait the two or the three years whatever it is even to get an appointment with CAMS or whatever it happens to be so they went privately to go privately to see a psychologist for three visits seven or eight hundred quid to get an educational specialist just to get your your CENA or go to the CENA and get your hours for an SNA could take I don't know another you know seven or eight hundred quid is there a possibility in the interim while we're in this and you could call it an emergency situation because there's so many people waiting that the government could step in and foot some of the bill even and you know talk to some of the private operators that are there and say can you take some of these can, just so we get rid of this backlog and that's exactly what I did with the assessment of needs that's exactly what I did. I went out and I worked with the privates. I even had psychologists come down from Northern Ireland that met the framework, that had the mm-hmm. clinical governance. I brought them in. We just got the job done and we got it done in a timely fashion, except for two CHOs. We had it all done in a nine months period. OK, so the same methodology is going to have to apply again. So you're right now. I need to work with everybody. I need to work with the public-private piece of it. I need to secure it down from Northern Ireland because it's still on the one island mm-hmm. to get the job done. To, to ensure uh, that James, to ensure that James and all the Jameses around, that they know that there's a pathway. And what I plan to do over the coming months, I plan on taking a roadshow around the country to every one of the 91 CDNT teams, meeting the families, having that parent form. But also, as I arrive, or should have happened, People will know the process. They will be getting the letters. You are in. The, you will be seen mm-hmm. too. Because it is desperation when you hear parents on the radio talking to me or talking to Joe Duffy or whoever it happens to be. It's desperation when parents have to go that far. And also, we were looking this morning there, the spina bifida. There's 56 children with spina bifida waiting for corrective surgery. Many parents say their children are waiting up to three years just to get surgery. Again, I, and I know this upsets you as much as it upsets everybody else to hear these figures. But you know what? I, 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 um, I'm very passionate about this particular one. It's not within my brief and I have an opinion mm-hmm. and I've no problem in sharing that opinion. OK, um, so first and foremost, we should have not no idle theatre anywhere. 
no surgeon like Conor Green should not have access to a theatre where he cannot perform that surgery that mm-hmm. gives that intervention. OK, um, the funding is available and the Taoiseach was very clear yesterday on the floor of the hall. The money is available, but you have um, Ireland East is what it sits under that particular umbrella over here. I've CHO2 for Galway, Mayo and Roscommon. OK, it's where the funding is landing. It has been directed. OK, I was out in Kappa. Kappa, they do fantastic opportunities, but they don't have enough high dependency beds. That's what Connor is talking about. He needs to have X number of high dependency beds so as he can sweat the asset of Kappa Theatre space. If he could be in Crumlin as well, he would set, sweat mm-hmm. that more. But unfortunately, his theatre time in Crumlin is on a Monday, so he loses 11 Mondays in the year as part of his schedule of work. But you know what I would say is, can we give him the theatre a little bit later in the evening? Maybe he wants, could do an evening, put mm-hmm. on an extra... T- and if staff don't want to work that, recruit in agency staff who will work with him to facilitate the man to do the surgery because they have the high dependency bed capacities in some of the other hospitals. Before you go, obviously, I need... There's two things you need to talk about. One is CAMS. And obviously, I want to now get your feeling about that. Now, there's an independent... There's going to be an audit. And I don't know whether that's going to unearth lots more problems. As it is, this is going to cost the taxpayer millions. And it's not just about the money, by the way. I wanted to, I wanted to reiterate that. But it's also how we've let these parents down. We've let these children down when doctors' first port of call was to medicate children. Firstly, your thoughts on the report when you read the report first. Initially, yourself after the whistleblower came out. You must have been horrified by that. Um, actually, myself and Minister Butler, um, and I have to compliment... Minister Butler, like she has gone straight in. She has looked for an independent review into it straight away mm. and not it right across. We talked about it all that Sunday before it was going to be published. Uh, and my, my case to Mary and herself, like this, first and foremost, this should never have happened. How did it happen? There wasn't clinical governance. But it not just failed at one line, Niall. It failed in our governance at every single space along the way. There was no gap that you could have said it could have been halted there or it should have mm-hmm. been stopped or it should have been reviewed. It was complete and utter failure right through. Uh, and the Taoiseach uh, has said that very, very clearly. Um, so much so that the HSC have put their hands straight up and apologised to the parents straight away. Are you, are you concerned that with this audit and the results of this audit will unearth even more problems right across the whole country? Oh, look, because I, can't, I don't believe that Kerry could be an isolated situation. And neither do I. Mm. And, neither and, I, and I think parents across the country, I mean, I know there's good people working in CAMS. I'm not suggesting there isn't for a minute, but I think CAMS has always been an issue. The waiting, the appointment times for CAMS, the waiting to get into CAMS. Uh, when you, as soon as you're, it's seen that your child is doing okay, you're dislocated from CAMS. It takes you four months to get back in again if something goes wrong. There's been problems with CAMS all along, before this came along. Yeah, and and I, this is not due directly to the people who work there. Most of the people who work there are quite passionate about the job and they're good at the job, but it's the way the whole system again is being run. Yes, and I and I do think this audit is the first step into this independent audit. Um, and and in fairness to the minister, she has looked really in relation to clinical mm-hmm. governance of the whole prescribing piece. That's what she wants to to look at first. I know she's also looking at an audit in relation to the staffing levels and everything else on it. Um, Cam's to be honest with you, um, that's where. Where we have different parts working in silos, not talking to other parts, is not healthy either, Niall. Like, CAMS should be working in conjunction very closely with primary care and, and with GP care. But but the waiting list 
for accessing CAMS is not consistent right around the country. In some areas you can be seen within three weeks. In other places it could be three months before you are, or longer, to be quite honest with well, you. Well, I remember my own daughter. I, my own daughter was dealing with CAMS many, many years ago when she was younger. She had dyspraxia. And it was 18 months at, yeah. by the time trying to get in there. Uh, just finally on today, today is more Woman Day. Uh, as you're well aware. And right now, only 23% of TDs and 25% of councillors in Ireland are women. Um, I don't know how we encourage more women to get into politics, but uh, if they want to double the numbers by 2024, do you think it's possible, unless we start taking people off the streets and ask them to be politicians, do you think it's possible? Um, is Look, at, it, it, it's a great life. It's a great privilege to be elected, OK? But it a lot takes, of pressure, isn't it? Yes, it does. It takes a lot to get to where I am today. Uh, and a lot of people have made a lot of sacrifices. Like, I come to Dublin on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and I leave my three kids behind mm. um, with the childminder to, to, to look after them. But on the side of that... Um, there, we need to encourage more women in. Do you know why we need them? Because we need that yin-yang at the table. We need that conversation piece. Like, I Yeah, because we do think differently. I mean, absolutely. biologically, we're different. We think differently. We have maybe different priorities sometimes, men and women. Not all. I'm generalising slightly here, OK? Yeah. But we do have different priorities. So, we, so it's good to have more women in there. But if we can't get them and they won't go in... Um, it's going but, to be difficult. But we will get them because I think really, in all fairness, there, there are strong ladies there at the moment who have no problem in speaking up and sometimes go against the, the, the establishment and the grain. And I think that's where that will give other women the opportunity and encourage them to, to come in and to, to participate. I, I would look at it from the whole disability point of view. Like, we need more women here to be able to advocate for the people who can't advocate. That's why we need women in politics. We make up 51% of it. And do you know what? If you leave down your phone, and I heard you talking about it tonight coming in, yeah. if women in politics could just park the phone and let somebody else look after it and leave the negativity outside the Stay door. Stay off just, Instagram. Yes. and just get, <laughs> Instagram is fine. It's the bloody Facebook and Twitter. Finally, before you go, will you guarantee all the listeners and parents that we've had on over the last two or three weeks, and I, I, I could wean them off here, multitude of them, that in your term, you will try your best and you will do your damnedest to get those waiting lists down for those parents and to get the respite that they actually deserve? Uh, yeah, respite will be delivered on. There is no denying that. Um, I got money last year for nine houses. Six of them are opened. I have a money again this year for another 12 houses. Respite is going to happen without a shadow of a doubt. And the ones that are only operating on respite, which is only 50% capacity, they will be completely sweated to 100% capacity. In relation to waiting lists, I will secure the money and I will work with whoever wants to work with me to drive down waiting lists. Thank you very much indeed. Fiona Falls, Anne Rabbit, and I appreciate you joining us in the studio today. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.